Good evening. Adam says vaccination mandates will continue in New York. The pandemic's perfect victims. The anniversary of a massacre in South Dakota and the death of a former United States senator. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the news for Thursday, December 29th, 2021. December 30th, pardon me, 2021. I'm reading a misprint here. Mayor-elect Eric Adams says he will continue the private sector vaccine mandate that went into effect Monday under Mayor Bill de Blasio. The mandate requires all employees of private businesses to submit proof of vaccination and that employers keep a full record of their workers' vaccination statuses. As New York State announced another new record with 74,000 positive COVID tests, Mayor-elect Eric Adams held a COVID briefing today where he rolled out his plan to keep New Yorkers safe. Linda Perry reports. Mayor-elect Eric Adams sent out a message to New Yorkers that we can't shut down our city again or allow New York City to sink into economic despair because of the virus. He says his administration is going to follow the science. Our focus is vaccine and testing, vaccine and testing, vaccine and testing. We must say that over and over again. Someone needs to make a T-shirt and a cap that says vaccine and testing. This is the clear message we must get out. The new administration rolled out a six-pillar approach to combating the pandemic. Vaccination, supporting hospitals in congregate settings, COVID testing, COVID treatment, slowing the spread of the virus and keeping schools safe. The private sector vaccine mandate will remain in place in the new year, but the emphasis is on compliance rather than punishment. And Adams says the city will study the need for booster shots and that a decision for a vaccine mandate for schools for the fall of 2022 will be released in the spring. This will be based on vaccine rates and expected COVID risk in city schools. Meanwhile, according to the mayor-elect, New York City schools will get expanded testing programs and stronger mitigation measures, which include better masks and improved ventilation. And we all know how poor the ventilation is across the city in our public schools. Adams says the administration will invest in New York City's health care infrastructure to get through the surge and keep our system strong and increase staffing to handle any increase in patients in coming months. And he says we need to arm ourselves against the next wave by fighting COVID with antivirals. When these pills become available for mass distribution, we're going to ensure that it is done in an equitable fashion. We saw at the beginning of COVID, there was a failure to have an equitable distribution of testing and equitable distribution of vaccinations. We're not going to do do this with these antivirals. And we need to ensure that in a very equitable way, we get it across our city, particularly in those communities where we see a greater need. We are in an entirely different place than we have ever been in our response to this ever-changing pandemic in part because of the range of tools in our toolkit, including vaccines and testing, as the mayor-elect and Dr. Chaksi have emphasized, but also in several promising findings about effective treatments for severe cases of COVID-19. Dr. Ashwin Vassen comes on board as New York City's health commissioner in March. He's a professor at Columbia University's Mailman School of Public Health, and he leads Fountainhead, a mental health nonprofit. In our winter pandemic plan and in our ongoing uh, work to combat this virus, we will aim to increase access to monoclonal antibody treatments, so trovimab, uh, as well as oral antivirals, including 
Paxlovid and Molnupiravir with a focus on equity and on reaching underserved and high-risk populations. <laughs> Next is our work to slow the spread of the virus. We all know the Omicron variant is highly transmissible. Slowing the spread is going to require strong coordination of our resources on the ground and clear lines of communication. In that vein, the city will distribute an additional 2 million higher grade, higher filtration masks, including KN95s, KF94s, and N95s in January, particularly via community-based organizations, health department, and H&H sites. Dr. Vassen says this is a moment to activate community leaders and credible messengers to ensure each community gets the resources they need. He adds that high-quality masks are an important part of our mitigation strategy to slow the spread. Linda Perry, WBAI News, New York. And thanks, Linda. The announcement was part of the mayor's the mayor-elect's rollout of his overall plan to fight COVID-19, including a potential vaccine mandate in schools and boosters as part of the city's current vaccination requirement. While a decision to require vaccinations in schools is ultimately up to the state, the mayor-elect said he has been in close communication with Governor Kathy Hochul on the issue. And the recent outbreak of the apparently more transmissible Omicron variant of the coronavirus has been impacting city services. The Metropolitan Transportation Authority has suspended subway service on the B, W, and Z lines this morning due to staffing shortages brought on by the recent surge in COVID-19 cases. The service suspensions come as five new pop-up testing sites are set to open today inside several subway stations around the city. Free PCR tests will be available at Penn Station in Manhattan, Broadway Junction in Brooklyn, and East 180th Street in the Bronx. In related news, the Food and Drug Administration is expected to authorize booster doses of Pfizer-BioNTech's COVID-19 vaccine for kids 12 to 15. The report comes as children being hospitalized with COVID-19 are approaching near-record levels. Currently, people as young as 16 are eligible for COVID-19 booster shots. People in the 12 to 15 age group have been able to get vaccinated with the two doses since May, meaning millions of adolescents fully vaccinated by July could be eligible for a booster immediately. According to the CDC, more than 71% of people 12 and older in the U.S. are fully vaccinated. Meanwhile, amid growing demand bolstered by rising coronavirus cases, the United States Food and Drug Administration has authorized two new at-home COVID-19 tests thanks to a program funded by President Joe Biden's COVID relief bill. Health and Human Services announced in October that the Biden administration would invest $70 million from the American Rescue Plan, President Biden's $1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief bill, to help bring more at-home tests onto the market. As COVID-19 cases have surged their highest levels on record in recent days, major retailers like Amazon, CVS, and Walgreens have placed limits on how many at-home tests shoppers can buy. And the Omicron-fueled surge sending COVID-19 cases skyrocketing is putting children in the hospital in close to record numbers, and most of the youngsters are not vaccinated. The CDC says during the week of December 21st through 27th, an average of 334 children, 17 and under, were admitted per day to hospitals with the coronavirus, a 58% increase from the week before. On a more hopeful note, children continue to represent a small percentage of those being hospitalized with COVID-19, and many doctors say 
say the youngsters coming in now seem less sick than those seen during the Delta surge over the summer. New York health authorities have also sounded the alarm. The number of children admitted to the hospital per week in New York City with COVID-19 went from 22 to 109 between December 5th and December 24th. Across all of New York State, it went from 70 to 184. Overall, almost 5,000 people in New York were in the hospital with COVID-19. And COVID has taken some of its biggest tolls among the most vulnerable. Early on, officials missed the swath of disease cut through the elderly housed in senior facilities. Later reports showed thousands died to, due to missteps. Throughout its course, the disease has disproportionately impacted poor communities as well as black people who tend to suffer from disparities in underlying conditions, weakening their immunity to the disease. One group that's been effectively ignored, according to a report by ProPublica, are dialysis patients. Investigative journalist Dua El-Dib says patients with kidney failure were the pandemic's perfect victims. They had so many risk factors that they were grappling with. When a lot of us were at home and able to stay home, not go out, they still had to leave for dialysis three times a week. And a lot of dialysis patients go on public transportation or like medical van transport. And once they get to their dialysis center, they were with other people. So they couldn't isolate, they couldn't socially distance because of their kidney failure, their immunocompromised. So there's just so many factors that place them at such a higher risk than the general population. How devastating was that risk? It was devastating. When you look at kidney disease already kills so many people every year. And when you look at the effect that the pandemic had last year alone, they're estimating an additional 18,000 deaths of people who had kidney disease who died last year, who had end-stage renal disease specifically. There's an issue about why so many people have end-stage renal disease in America. Did that come into your research at all? Yes, the kind of the precursor to end-stage renal disease is called chronic kidney disease, which is actually quite prevalent. And it can progress, you know, stage one, stage two, until you get to stage five or end-stage renal disease. And that progression, a lot of it has to do with underlying conditions. So most people who reach that level have diabetes or hypertension or other underlying health conditions. And unfortunately, the racial disparities there are vast and so you have black patients progressing to that at three times the rate as white patients. What was the government response? What was the response of the people who should have been overseeing this? Unfortunately, you saw that in the dialysis centers where this was happening, they did try to mask early on. They tried to isolate early on. They moved people into shifts. So people who had suspected or confirmed to have COVID were put on special isolation shifts. So they're either dialyzing later after other patients or there was specific clinics. But the risk was just so high that you still found people with kidney disease, people who are going to dialysis being hospitalized at a much higher rate. Early on, I think, you know, when the pandemic first hit from late March to April, the data showed that dialysis patients were 40 times more likely to be hospitalized from COVID than the general population. And you say here, few people took notice. What does that mean? 
And that's what's so heartbreaking to me, especially as a reporter. When I went into this, there wasn't, you know, I really didn't know much about this population. And the more I studied it, the more I realized that this is kind of an invisible population. This is a population that a lot of people, unfortunately, kind of outside of the dialysis community, don't really pay attention to. These numbers are staggering and they should have been making headlines months ago when this data was first coming out. But people weren't really paying attention. I don't think people realized the risks. You were in this position now in late 2021 where people are still at risk. So many families have lost loved ones. And one of the criticisms that you know, came up in my reporting, we were speaking to experts and epidemiologists, is that you know, when the vaccines were first rolled out, they were not distributed to dialysis facilities early on. And so at the very beginning in December, when nursing home patients and other places were being prioritized, dialysis patients weren't. What's the takeaway? What should we take away from this? There's a couple of things I think first is just acknowledging that this has happened, being aware of this, knowing that this is such a high-risk population. Also, there's been a lot of movement on home dialysis. I mean, one of the, the biggest risk factors has been for these patients having, again, being forced to go out and leave their home, leave the relative safety of their home three times a week. There is home dialysis that movement is gaining traction, but nearly 90% of dialysis patients go to in-center dialysis. The rest, you know, 13% or so are at home dialysis. So there's been some movement, some legislation to get more assistance for home dialysis, more funding for that, also just to reduce the disparities both in, in stage renal disease and in home dialysis. And the thing that I heard over and over from the nephrologists, from the doctors that I was talking to, is that this is a population population that really could benefit from vaccinations, from boosters, and just being as well protected as they can be. Is there reason for hope? Have people learned anything? Yeah, there is a reason for hope. I think that, you know, once the boosters went to the dialysis center, the vaccines, I think people are getting their, their vaccinations. So I heard that that is a reason for hope. Raising awareness about this is a reason for hope. But like everyone else, we don't know what the future will bring. Investigative journalist Dua Eldib. Her article, They Were the Pandemic's Perfect Victims, is on the website ProPublica.org. You're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. When President Joe Biden signed the National Defense Authorization Act earlier this month, it provided nearly $780 billion to the military. It was bipartisan, passed by a wide margin. But one proposal was left off the final bill, a measure co-sponsored by Senators Elizabeth Warren and Ed Markey. It would have rescinded the 20 Medals of Honor granted to members of the 7th Cavalry who participated in the massacre at Wounded Knee, South Dakota, on December 29th, 20, uh, pardon me, 1890. Although Warren's Remove the Stain Act failed, she says she won't give up the fight to right some of the wrongs that occurred that cold winter day in 1890. Two weeks earlier, the most renowned healer of the Sioux Nation, Sitting Bull, was assassinated by a native police officer who had come to arrest him as part of a crackdown of an emerging re religion among the Sioux and other native people known as the Ghost Dance. Members of Sitting Bull's extended family fled after the murder on a long trip through the Badlands to what's today known as the Pine Ridge Reservation. There, they were met by members of the United States 7th Cavalry, the same unit that for 14 years earlier had been wiped out as they attempted to raid an Indian encampment. The elders, the, pardon me, the soldiers were drunk and angry. 
and it didn't take long for them to open fire on the refugees, killing at least 300. WBAI spoke today with Lakota Nation lawyer Chase Iron Eyes, who is a descendant of survivors of the massacre. December 15th, 1890, Sitting Bull is assassinated on what is now called the Standing Rock Nation, the Standing Rock Reservation, the site of the 2016-17 No Dapple struggle, the Ocheti Shakoi or Mini Wichoni. People may still be aware of that. Sitting Bull was assassinated there, and then his band, his camp members, went to a man named Spotted Elk and sought uh, refuge there. Spotted Elk and Sitting Bull's band, which included my great-great-grandfather, Iron Eyes, he was the brother of Spotted Elk. They traveled all the way to the Pine Ridge Agency. At the time, it was called the Red Cloud Agency, and they sought protection. They sought amnesty because they were being hunted because of their support for the ghost dance. They were massacred there. Our families were disarmed and massacred. The United States military, the 7th Cavalry, were awarded 20 medals of honor for their cowardly, dastardly, conduct in butchering unarmed women and children and elders and very few fighting men. This is an ancient history. This didn't happen 131 years ago. And then now it's a dark chapter in our history. And we want to move on from that. You go to any reservation today and you can witness the legal, political and economic terrorism that is being inflicted by a colonial settler government and it's populist against the indigenous nations. This is how I would contextualize Wounded Knee 131 years later, is that the Indian wars have not ended. We have been penned up and corralled on Indian reservations since 1889. These reservations were designed as a place of confinement. In our language, that's what they're called, Ogashke, Ogashke Oyanke, the, the places that we are confined. The schools where they found the mass graves of Native people, which were discovered that these schools that Native people were sent to in Canada and the United States were sort of genocidal in their own nature. To call them a school is to do a complete disservice to the fact that these were akin to concentration camps. Men and women of God inflicted sexual violence, unspeakable horrors against children against my children, against indigenous children. My grandmother was at one of these boarding schools. My mother was one of, at one of these institutions. The intent was to kill the Indian and save the man. We are to completely erase whatever original precepts and dignities exist in that being and put in place our Christian, European, English precepts and biases and complexes which we now know have led us to the brink of extinction level events in terms of a climate crisis, in terms of the way that Western civilization is a virus on the collective soul of humanity. I just wanted to ask you to update us on the pipelines crisscrossing native lands in your part of the country. What's going on? I'm looking forward to supporting the Standing Rock tribal government in its quest to not only stop the Dakota Access Pipeline, but to gain remuneration for the trespass and the lack of transfer fees, the damage that has been caused by this international act of aggression on part of energy transfer partners and the United States government. The American people want to recognize the treaty rights of indigenous nations. They want to give government lands back to the Indians because we manage it better. If the Indians were in charge, this wouldn't be a post-peak oil apocalyptic showdown that we're living through. 
we would be living in a regenerative economy that promotes a respect relationship with the older relatives. These are not resources. These are older relatives. We are the youngest species that has been whom God are made relatives to the universe. So it's a sacrifice, a life in prison of Leonard Peltier, the price that was paid so that folks like you could lead the Sioux Nation. I'm glad you brought up Thank Uncle you. Leonard Peltier because, you know, I visited Leonard Peltier in Coleman prison. It is just unimaginably dreadful when you go inside the prison walls of a max security prison. And this is our elder. The Department of Justice committed crimes to put Leonard Peltier in jail. There's no reason why President Biden cannot pardon Leonard Peltier right now, today. All he wants is to be in the natural world outside of the prison walls, the colonial prison walls, which have wrongfully incarcerated him since the 1970s. He wants to transition to the next reality out here with his family in his homelands, and he deserves this. To make right the wrongs of the, of the 70s, my family was murdered during that time. The FBI admits to 69, 70 murders that happened of traditional American Indian movement treaty people on the Pine Ridge Reservation. The federal government and the Department of Justice has never been held to account for what they instigated on the Pine Ridge Reservation. We are still reeling from those open wounds. So we need to free Leonard Peltier. And that's Lakota Nation lawyer Chase Iron Eyes, a descendant of survivors of the Wounded Knee Massacre. You can listen to that uh, interview that I did with uh, with Chase Iron Eyes tonight at about midnight on Radio Unnameable. I'll play the entire interview that that was excerpted from. And in related news, U.S. District Judge Daniel Trainer Wednesday dismissed all Dakota Access Pipeline protesters' claims against cops asserting unreasonable against the cops that asserted unreasonable use of force on November 20th, 2016, during protests against the pipeline. The judge ruled that law enforcement was justified to use what he called less lethal force against protesters who he says were trespassing and violent. Meanwhile, the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers are urging the United States Supreme Court to reject an appeal by the Dakota Access Pipeline, looking to restore an environmental permit which would give the builders access to build a crucial part of the project across the Missouri River. They're urging the court to wait until a new environmental review is completed by November of 2022. And finally, former Senator Harry Reid has died. He led the Senate Democratic Caucus from 2005 to 2017 and was the Senate Majority Leader from 2007 to 2015. He started his career as a conservative anti-abortion Democrat, becoming more progressive over time. He opposed construction of the proposed Yucca Mountain Federal Nuclear Waste Repository in Nevada. Initially anti-immigration, he eventually supported the DREAM Act to provide a path to citizenship for young immigrants who grew up in the United States. In an interview with C-SPAN, Reid discussed the growing ideological gridlock in the United States Senate and explained why it was necessary to counter GOP filibusters against important legislation. It was developed to stop endless debate. It's called the cloture rule. And it was done just basically to figure out some way to shut people up. And it's worked quite well. The number of, of uh, Ways you can have cloture invoked has changed. The number of votes is taken has changed. Uh, but always it was used in a gentleman's way. Very rarely. Filibusters didn't come very often. Had to be on big, big issues. 
civil rights movement, big, big issues like that. But now, since the last 10 years, basically Republicans have used it for everything, everything. I'll give you an example. We can debate Lyndon Johnson's term as majority leader. We know how long he served. That was six years. And we can discuss and analyze how many filibusters he had to overcome. Most people say one or two. During my first six years as the majority leader, more than 500. The Senate has become, in many senses, inoperable. I love the Senate. I don't want in any way to take away from what a great institution it is and will continue to be. But it's going to change because you cannot operate a government that way. American people today do not accept the fact that a democracy takes 60 out of 100 votes. That doesn't sound like democracy to anyone. And as former United States Senator Harry Reid, he died of pancreatic cancer earlier this week at the age of 82. And that's some of the news for Thursday, December 30th, 2021. The news was produced with Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening. And here I am back again and... First time doing the news in the studio in a long, long time, and it is uh, 25 minutes after 6, and we have decided for the next half hour to uh, suspend our re- regular fundraising uh, pitch time and talk to you directly, the uh, the listeners, and to invite you to comment on the news uh, with your qu- comments or questions on, on today's news or any of the news that, uh, that you might have heard at this hour over the past week and any other issues even that we didn't cover on the news. Maybe you could tell me what you think the top story that we covered. What was the top story we should have covered and didn't on the WBAI news? I'd like to know that as well. I want to throw this to you, the listeners. Our call in line is 212-209-2877. I'll say that again even more slowly. 212-209-2877. They say the secret to reading and speaking slowly on the radio is taking breaks in between lines. 212-209-2877. It does sound pretty good, doesn't it, when you do that? And so we're here to take your calls. Uh, now, uh, let's see. Um, oh, let's see. Hat tip to Justice Matters, which is usually heard 630 Thursdays with Bob Ganji, who's uh, off for the holidays, I'm told. Here he is, off for the holiday. Well, I hope he enjoys his holiday. He's so lucky to have a holiday. Uh, any folks here in the city, because of COVID, they couldn't go on a holiday or for some other reason? How many folks ever get a holiday? Is that is that becoming a luxury, a holiday, a day off, a week off? What happened to the old two-week vacation, which was minuscule compared to what they get in Europe, but seems to be even dying out here in America. So we have some folks on the line. Welcome to WBAI. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Your question or comment? Well, first of all, I want to thank you a million. These news reports are gold to me. It's very, very valuable. And now I'm requesting that the person you interviewed um, about um, Standing Rock... Oh, Chase, Iron Eyes. If he could possibly compose and put out on the internet to the world uh, a petition that we can all fill we can all sign 
and it would go to President Biden to get the release for Leonard Peltier, please. Right. Didn't he give a website? Um, and I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have it. I should have had it in front of me. He gave out a website. Yeah, he gave out a website. I'm sorry, I didn't. I have to look it up. I don't have it in front of me. But there is a website for Leonard Peltier. And I think if you look up Leonard Peltier, if you search it on the Internet, you'll find the website where you can learn more and do things like that. Chase is a leader of the of the Lakota, which is uh, uh, one of the uh, groups that make up the Sioux Nation. And uh, I am sure he is really busy all the time working on so many things and so many legal uh, fights, as he describes, just outlined some of in the last yeah, interview. Yeah, I'd like to communicate with him. Maybe he would do that for, for you know, for people. I think there's this website. We're trying to find it now. And we'll I'll keep listening. We'll announce it as soon as we find it. Right. Thank you. Amanda. Sure. All right. You. Happy New Year. Bye. Thank you. Happy New Year. Yes. Happy New Year to you. I like Happy New Year better than even Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Welcome to WBAI. Oh, I don't hear you. Speak up a little louder, please. We're not getting you. Oh, that's Sante with his terrible phone. Sante, we can't understand a word you're saying on that phone. Get rid of that phone. <laughs> Forget it. That's Sante's phone. All right. You're on the radio. Okay. You, go ahead. You're on the air. Okay, you could hear me, Mr. Yes. You, I can yes. hear. Good. You, I could hear. Yes. And I couldn't hear. I was on hold. I couldn't hear the caller at all. Yeah, yeah. No, it. it was terrible. Yeah, his phone. He has a problem with his phone. Uh, he's he's a uh, technophobe. He doesn't like high-tech phones. Go ahead. Okay, so uh, I'm glad. You usually don't open up the calls to the evening news, but I love the evening news. I do. You oh. do a very good job. You have a very good voice. Oh, thank uh, you. Good radio. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And it's news that you really don't get on the uh, normal broadcast, like good radio. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. A lifetime of me saying that to myself every time I heard the news and finally getting the opportunity, thanks to this wonderful radio station, to, uh, to respond. Yes, and I had asked you this before, but they used to rebroadcast the news at 11 o'clock if you didn't catch the 6 o'clock, but I guess they don't have enough time. Uh, yeah, I don't know the reasons, but, uh, you know, you can go to the Internet now. If you go to com, I list it there. Also, you can get it right after the news if you go just to the archives. It's there for, you know, a few weeks. Um, and I try and put it up over at uh, my site. And uh, it's also uh, – you it's blogged in a lot of places. There's a uh, – it winds up – it's on Apple and different places as well. Right. Well, that's good. So it's always easy. Yeah, to, just uh, search access. WBAI News or my name. It comes up. Yeah. Is it against the bylaws of WBAI to charge for that service? Because you are providing a service, and it is costly, I assume, to archive every show. And have <laughs> well, I would suggest to the people in power, the, our great boards, that uh, anything is possible if the board votes to do it. It's just up to them. You know, board, have you ever had, were a co-op board? You know, our board's no different than a co-op board in many ways. And, uh, and as such, uh, you know, whatever the rules are when you start the game, you can change them anyway, any, you know, as they do on co-op boards all the time. But it's yes, up to them. It's that, up to them. Yeah, what I find, I'm sure a lot of listeners uh, agree with this. It seems like you guys get always so desperate for money, and I know it's a difficult thing. And the, uh, you know, the tower project and how much money, and it just seems like every, uh, uh, every other, you know, men mention of it. And then when it breaks into the program, it does. 
sort right. of not, you know, there's so much. But think about it. I mean, at the same time, I mean, is it really that different from, uh, you know, our competitors out there, these so-called public radio stations that are out there that aren't really that public? I mean, yeah, how many yeah, times right. do you listen to the news there and they break in and they they have those sort of dumb music shows where you think you're going to see a great hero from your musical past and then every five minutes they they break in 15 minutes of fundraising? At least we don't do a lot of that kind of stuff. Right, right. It's the, again, it's the way it's of the world. That. You know, what makes the world go around, baby? <laughs> well, it's really a gravitational force, but the right. theoretical <laughs> metaphor for the money going around the world is making the world uh, uh, enslaved and be able to get labor for free in China. Right. You know, there's a lot. It makes the world also very evil. Now so. we're getting somewhere. Yeah, now <laughs> we're getting to the meat. If you remember me, I, I, I just so happened to listen to that midnight show with the guy. I thought that was great radio. He said, I might not ever be on the, on this show again, but I hope that wasn't the case. What I thought was a good fundraising idea, and to give him credit, Gary Knoll has emph- uh, has epitomized this kind of uh, thing, is that if, if, if people like a show, whatever show, the computer show or your show, that like once a month, all the members who like the show or non-members, and then, you know, you could sign them up as members, you know, meet the host. And and instead of just on the radio saying, oh, we, we you know. How about this? If they take me out to dinner at my favorite restaurant, we'll make them a member. Let me move on to the next call. I like that idea. All right. But instead of me taking them out to dinner, they have to take me out to dinner. And you're on the radio. Welcome to WBAI. Thank you very much for your service and your time and your expertise and giving the news. I just wish there would be moments where uh, callers can come in and give like a blow-by-blow uh, report about a situation they may be, may be going through, even if it's like a, a 10 second. What kind of situation do you mean? Like, it could be corruption at their job. Or do you have a story like that? Uh, well, yeah, I was. Uh, what What is it? I work. I work for a particular agency, and uh, I was uh, wrongfully terminated oh. for a perceived disability. And there's so many situations mm. like that in New York City. That's a violation, so possibly. I'm no lawyer, but isn't yeah. that a violation of the Americans with Disability Act, ADA, yes, right? And and there's and, and there's so many cases like that where people with disabilities or people with different uh, hardships can't get their voice heard or can't get any type type of service. And I, I love what you're doing with your show, and I just wish there was a, a segment open up for people who, like myself, who went through situations like that. Phone calls all the time. I like that. We could do phone calls night and day on WBAI. And, yeah, yeah. yeah and, a great and, way to build and, an audience, I think. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. And these New York agencies do not speak to each other, communicate with each other, and that's a big problem. New York City wastes a lot of money. All right. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Okay. What is the, uh, what is the uh, most riveting story during 2019? Reggie, are you are you prepared to comment on the most riveting story during 2019? 2019 or 2021? I'm sorry, or 2021. Oh, somebody misprinted here. We, 2019. We, texting with like thumbs because I, it, that that sounded like that was some kind of segue into uh, talking about what happened in October 2019, which has been two years since the whole. Right takeover thing uh takeover attempt thing that happened here but are you asking me a question yes, about yes. what was for 20 yes 21 uh, 2021 the most riveting story of 2021 yes we're asking you <laughs> <laughs> man I, I, it, it's just it, it's not it's it's as if what is it but you know without 
for the sake of not being uh, repetitious, um, I, I think the, the the reality of the IPCC report on the climate change and and climate crisis and and referring to it as cold red and 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 just really the cop 26 ineptitude of doing anything different from what they have done previously okay fine the united states is back into the uh, uh, paris uh agreement okay but there's no teeth to it there's nothing that's going to force change <laughs> of the situation. There is no carbon tax. There is no uh, force of, uh, of 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 really changing the things that are need to happen. I think the th- the idea that uh, someone like President Biden decides to <laughs> first of all set the water on fire in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico and then tried to sell real estate in international waters, which is totally illegal. And then on top of that, the local story, which is definitely connected in regards to the East River Park, the destruction of a park, a thousand trees being taken apart, and they're saying that they're trying to prevent, uh, they're trying to help uh, with the climate change. I, it, 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 I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. That that just sounds like someone that has been sniffing the rubbing alcohol a little too long and a little too. The denatured. W- yeah. Yeah. The denatured alcohol. But that's. The that, stuff that I, makes I, you blind. I, would, I mean, just for the sake of sounding different, I would say that the, the climate, uh, the climate change uh, situation that is happening, right. you know, I mean, like 100 degree weather in Canada, 100 degree weather in Montana and in, in Idaho and in, in Washington state. The collapse of the Arctic and Antarctic ice sheets. Yeah. Collapsing into the ocean any day now, like yeah. literally any day. Yeah. Chunks yeah. of as big as Manhattan every yeah. other day, it seems like. Are I mean, we're, we're getting to a point that that disaster movie, um, uh, The Day After Tomorrow, right. um, is becoming less of a disaster film and becoming more of a documentary. <laughs> right. Oh, speaking of films, has anybody out there seen? I have yet to see it, and I should, but I've been, I've been holding off to the weekend. But uh, everybody's been talking about Don't Look Up. Oh, my goodness, yes. I have don't I don't yes. don't tell anybody the end. I'm not look. I'm not well. Uh, already somebody did. So you know, so, you know, I was in the movie theater and somebody said the end of uh, Planet of the Apes like two seconds before it actually. <laughs> I was going to get up and beat the. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm a poor peaceful person, right? I, I, don't look up without going into any detail. Don't believe the critics. They're trying to downplay this movie the way it is. I think the the movie is so on point, and I think it, with the point that with the combination of of the, the directorial talents of Adam McKay along with David Sirota, who happens to work at the Jacobin, which are neighbors of ours, mm-hmm. um, I think did an amazing film. On point. All right, cool. I'm going to watch on it point. this weekend, and we should all watch it and be able to talk about it next week. We have some folks on the line. Let's try who else is on. You're on the radio. Go ahead. Are you there? Uh-oh. Okay. Let's they try left that. me. Okay. All right. Let's try it again. 
All right, let's try. Hi, you're on the radio. Hello? No, what I, yeah, nowadays the new phone systems cut off, don't they? They used to let used to let you ring forever. Okay, how about now? Hi, you on? No, nobody. Nope, no, no. Okay, let's try this. You on? Yeah, I'm here. Good. Let me just let me just turn my radio down. Yeah, that's that. what you got to do. That's what happens sometimes is they don't realize the radio is. We have a you know multi second delay because there's a list of seven words I, that's right in front of us here that you are not allowed to say on the radio. So we have to be very careful about that. And you're on. Go ahead. You're listening to WBAI New York. You was just speaking, caller. Feel free to talk. You are on the air. The radio. I'm here now. Okay. Listen, uh, I'm also a devoted listener to uh, the news. Thank you. But I also would like to ask the people of New York City if they're having as much trouble with being disabled as it is out here in New Jersey. New Jersey has just kind of sliced and diced us into a corner that is really nasty. Mm. It started with Chris Christie, but it also started even before that. Mm. Um, We are the expendables. And it would be really nice if we had the program that we used to have where we could listen to all sorts of things about disabled people, but they all went the way of I don't know what. People who may be blind and just can't pop you their number doesn't mean that they don't send a check once in a while. It's more than that. You know, the money is other people's problems. I mean, it's my problem, too. But generally, I like to focus on the politics and on the uh, righteousness of what we do over everything. And it is necessary for us to connect with one of the most radical populations that are out there, which are the disabled people in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut region who listen to WBAI. I mean, we're supposed to be a radical radio station speaking to the radical people out there. We must speak to and from the disabled community. Yeah, it's unfortunate that uh, New Jersey has had a very bad reputation. And ever since Mm. uh, the various insurance companies took over Obamacare, they're really doing a number. It's uh, the advantage companies, right? Those Medicaid, those Medicaid type companies that they've been giving, putting everybody on. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can't pick your own doctor? Yeah, well, see, I wouldn't do that. I kept my Medicare doctor, and I got in trouble. Right. Yeah, I know. It's terrible. That's that's how they're made. Thank you, Mayor. And I mean that sarcastically. Thank you, Mayor de Blasio, for shoving, you know, hundreds of thousands of of New York employees into a, a crappy health system to save money. Oh yeah, that was really disgusting. And I yeah, I same kind of thing. It's happened. It happened to me. It's like, now all of a sudden we're paying money and everything. I know. We'll Sad. Around and we're not amused. And and the thing is, is that we're very grateful that you at least have something on there that begins to represent reality. But our insurance companies and the agencies which want to take over, they had something called mm. personal preference program where you could actually have your own employee. And then some two years ago, they tried to change the law. So let's just kill off the disabled. They're expendable. Yeah, Ronald, I mean, uh, Ronald Reagan. Donald Trump, when he he disgusted me, and I can't imagine after he made fun of that reporter, I will never, ever forgive him for that. He does, If he did nothing else, that's the one thing I can never forgive him for. Well, you know, there's some other things he did, too. He sort of, he took disemboweled the Inspector General's office at 40 Work Street. I used to be in contact with them all the time when I had a regular aid here. But that all sort of disappeared. Uh, It's all about his big fat ego and, you know, what 
with yep. a little party that's that obvious. they want to get on some island. You know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> these people are so damn degenerate. It's pathetic. Yeah, and, Epstein's uh, Island. We, keep- let, let, we have to move on. There's so many more calls. We don't have a lot of time. Thank you very much, caller. And you're on. Hello? Go ahead. Hello? Yes, you're on the radio. Okay, so there's three things I think are underreported. One in New York is the unemployment rate. Mm-hmm. It's basically never reported on. It's like 10%. Uh-huh. All right? Yeah. And no, no, no one, when you people talk about crime and this and this and this, they never bring up the fact that the that New York City is basically, you know, basically in a depression. It's 10% unemployment. Another story that's un, that's not reported on is, you know, people love talking about Bolsonaro, COVID, Bolsonaro, Bolsonaro and COVID. You very rarely talk about the slaughter of um, young black people that goes on in Brazil by the police. Mm-hmm. All right? Uh-huh. Then the third thing is, you know, we, talk, we hear Uyghurs, China, Uyghurs, China. We don't talk, we don't hear about the Dalits, the untouchables in India, which have been going, they've been going through real hell for hundreds of years. Uh-huh. We almost never hear about that. The untouchables. Right, the Dalits, right. Is that what they call them, Dalits? We, yeah, or Dalits, yeah. Uh-huh. Never, basically, never hear about them. I mention every now right. and then, yeah. but those, but we, those are the, those are things just never hear about. Well, those are three things I will definitely put on my list. All right, and check it twice. That's an interesting point that the caller brought up about the uh, about the unemployment situation and in correlation of crime. And I think the thing is that what things that don't get reported on and what doesn't get focused on Mm. is the connection between those two things. It's it's not necessarily gang activity as some of the folks in mainstream media likes to put out and even the mayor-elect likes to allude to. Mm. It's more of the lack of opportunity that is given for people. We, hello, have people have not realized what we have gone through during the past two going on into three years, we have experienced a point of time where people's jobs were snuffed out with no fault of their own. Without uh, the the rent it's due, the moratorium is about to end next month, and there's going to be tens of thousands of even more people put in even a more precarious situation. Absolutely, and uh, it's weird that you can only get a job if you like have a relative who can hire you. Basically, I mean, it's yeah. limiting. To, it's very limiting to people, young people especially, who are getting out there and want an opportunity. Yeah, and and unless you already are in the system, unless your family is already successful. You know, imagine if the immigrants who came from, like, Italy and Hungary and all these places, you know, they had no nobody. And they came here, and they had to make something, and they, you know, it's just, you know, I guess what I'm saying is that we have to recognize the fact that the government has to step in and do its job in providing for people the same thing that was deprived for so long that other people have had the privilege of having the bare, the bare basic, the bare basic. Right. We're the not basic. even talking about. We're not talking about as some folks would like to say, <coughs> like, uh, oh, we're going to give you, oh, we're, right. we're going to give you a car, we're going to give you this, we're going to give you Came that. In like, you know, it, no, no. In like, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the thing when whole nations came in those days. You know, it was like right. the whole nation came. 
you know, the, with everything, the support network, the family networks, everything, you know, they, right. and, which was deprived people. Right. And I, I think the thing is, is that there That's is such a major disconnect yeah. on the situation. Look, the reason why crime, if it's happening the way they're saying it's happening, it's happening out of desperation. It is not because people just choose to do that. When you put people in a situation where they can't further choose or or determine where their direction is going to be. And I don't want to hear this thing about, oh, well, they chose to do this. They chose to do that. No, they were put in a situation where no more options were given. No wonder they don't want CRT. <laughs> then people would know. Oh, All right, no. next one. You're on the radio. Hello, myself? Yes, go ahead. Hi, Ruth from the great state of New Jersey. Hey. I want to speak with, Thank you. I want to speak with someone who's uh, involved or knows enough about the tree murders in the uh, East Park where the amphitheater and all have been destroyed already. Yeah, yeah, in East, 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 East River Park. Okay. I wrote Cuomo and told him, don't take the trees out because the roots are so important that the the, mm-hmm. the tide along the washing of Manhattan will be m- very destructive. Right. Okay. <laughs> Definitely. But nevertheless, I... Did I, they ever write back? No, sir. No, oh. absolutely not. I mean, I mean, There's I, no I, reason I, for that. They have armies of people to write back to people. Well, that's okay. I mean, I got a message out there to somebody in Albany. Nevertheless, I realize now that's not even the problem. Um, I was reading uh, what's it called? Oh, the Sierra Club when they tried to um, to stop the Yukon River and make it a lake up there. And they said the problem was finally in the end they realized that the weight of the cement that would be needed would be crushing to the whole area, like crushed down. That's what's going to happen over here because they're talking about putting a 10-foot wall or something to, to to keep the water from coming in a surge. It's going to it's going to be worse than ever because the weight of that wall mm. is the the roots will be one thing, but the weight of the wall will crush down on Manhattan so horribly. It will be horrific, sir. Absolutely horrific. You uh, it's, it's, you know, they're supposed to, they're not supposed to do the basic. I mean, they're basically giving us the, uh, the cheap job, right? Yep. I mean, that's what people don't realize. It's the cheap job. And of course, they're giving it to the West side. They would never, uh, on the East side, they would never give such a cheap job to the West side. They're, what they're doing is they hope it'll never, it won't be a problem to them. They'll be dead. It'll be their, their descendants who will have to deal with it 50 or 100 years from now. And, uh, they can get it out of mind. And how will they do it? By putting just the same thing. You always see in poor neighborhoods, like a 40 foot concrete wall. <laughs> You know, blocking off what that you're and you're paying like you're living in public housing. You get a view at a river. Who do what do you think you, you deserve a view at a river? Oh, come on. That's what it is. That's what the thinking is. It's this. It's the you don't deserve anything. You now pay for in this society, and therefore they take it away from you and they put a wall there and say, "Be lucky that you're you're not being flooded out." They would love nothing more than to get rid of all that public housing and put up. Uh, they already put one up, eighty story glass monstrosities one after another the weight of the wall will be highly destructive to the entire side of manhattan there sir weight of the wall (laughs) thank you for that caller very good and uh you're on the radio go ahead go ahead you're on the air yes go ahead yeah so idea for a new show you know there's counter spin 
Mm-hmm. This needs to be a counterspin just for New York City in the media. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. To deal with the New York City. Yeah, right. Yeah. All right. This yes. Is, I mean, because there's a lot of nonsense. And I right. mean, you know, if you can get someone to deal with the Spanish, the Chinese, all the bilingual, just to deal with it, because what they do is do, to get back with this, the thing with the crime. That's where a lot of people, you know... You know what I think is the most perfect example of that is the coverage of the shooting of that 14-year-old girl in Los Angeles. The way all the the Daily News and the Post and all these media outlets, the Times, they're all going, like, bending over backwards. I kind of disagree. I think the, one of the ones that happened was over the summer when the kid was um, shot in the crossfire, and there were and this, there were headlines. All oh, the city, the city is mourning and it's enraged. Like, <laughs> right. Really, that's yes. what we're doing. Because I did not kind of right. didn't really notice that. And uh, by the way, the police always say everything is gang activity. That's what they say now. Right. It's Although they to justify day. their jobs. I mean, I, I mean, I hate I'm glad that we have one radio station that's not in the pocket of the PBA or the SBA, considering that the SBA already made it clear that they hate us and have been targeting us for years. All right, caller. Thank yeah, you. But, you know, the other, thing, the other thing, guys, to be real, you know, you, you all kind of really got homosexual there for a while. <laughs> all right. Homosexual. Let's, let's, be, let's be honest. I don't know if that's cool. Let's go on. Thank you very much. I don't want to I want to go there. You're on the radio. Go ahead. Yes, hello? Yeah, go ahead. You're on here. Hello. Yeah, you're here. Oh, good. Um, I think a news story that you had said, I believe it hasn't been talked about much, kind of going on, what Reg was talking about, about climate change, but about habitat destruction yeah. and also yeah. the way we do our farming practices yeah. in this country mm. and around the world. We need to look at more permaculture, mm-hmm. growing more perennial crops than among our annual crops, protecting our land, the tr- not just the trees and parks, but whole ecologies and ecosystems and that's um the way this is the one point i say climate change is a symptom it's a symptom of habitat destruction like when you have the cough and um you have the flu it that uh the 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 coughing is the symptom of the flu so habitat destruction is the the disease and climate change and all that stuff is like the symptoms of it all right good we're running out of time so i'm going to run to the next call probably the last you're on the air go ahead you're on the radio. Hello. Yeah, go ahead. You're here. Good evening. Yeah. Hi. I, I, I think one of the major issues for 2021 was the January 6th event. Mm-hmm. Also, still is the voter suppression. Mm-hmm. And how these things have not really been addressed in the way they should. You would think that uh, we just went back in time to like 1954. Oh, it, it's it's it's. Oh, talking about dreadful and horrible, it's, it's, it's super. I know, and nobody's saying anything. Like, oh, that's okay. I did. I thought that once you progressed, that was it. I didn't realize. I'm learning something new in life that you can be thrown back in a backlash 40, 50 years. Well, it depends on who's in charge and who's in mm-hmm. power. Right. That's the main thing. But what, it also depends on what are people going to do about it. Well, that's true too. But the, the thing is, you got these people in power, and they're changing the rules all the time. To make themselves more powerful. That's obvious. And they they learn, you know, they learn from all the opposition. uh, And we have to get out of here in a minute. But uh, they learn from all the opposition. I can tell because I'm involved in a lot of movements. And we talk about the East River Park. You know, they've had the powers that be have had their dreams crushed and they've learned from it. And they know now how to address it in a way to try and undermine the people who 
are fighting for the interests of the public and the people as somehow enemies of the people and the government, which, you know, it's armed force. The police are constantly shooting and beating people in the streets and arresting and filling up the prisons like no other country on earth as the heroes. Everything's been fabricated, and you got the judges, you know, the prosecutors, all these big companies. They're buying these politicians like crazy. That's what's going on. So unless you got some money and can really do something to offset these things, you're in trouble. You're in deep trouble. Because all right. Those people are working and thinking twenty-four-seven. They don't sleep. Okay. Thank you very much, caller. Good point. Do we have somebody else on the line? Hi, you're on the air. Probably going to be the last one. Go ahead. Yeah, you're going to be last. What's up? Welcome to WBAI. I think we lost them. All right. Well, that's been the WBAI news and the uh, – oh, I've been told here to uh, remind you that uh, we need WBAI buddies, and we need them as soon as possible. So contact us at – 212-209-2950 to pledge and become a WBAI buddy or go to our website, www.give2wbai.org.